Florida Medical Association, helping physicians practice medicine. Welcome to the Medicine Curated Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Stapleton, CEO of the Florida Medical Association. Today, we're going to talk about the regulatory process, which really impacts every physician practicing medicine in Florida. Joining me is Mary Thomas. Mary is the Assistant General Counsel at the FMA. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Before we dive into today's topic, uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Hey, Tim. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here to talk about my favorite subject, the Florida Board of Medicine. Um, So I was definitely one of those obnoxious kids who always knew they wanted to go to law school. And I am a Seminole through and through. I went to FSU for both undergrad and law. And, you know, during the first year of law school can be really hard to figure out what area of law you're truly interested in because you're limited to taking certain core classes. Um, But I was fortunate enough after my 1L year to get an internship at the Department of Health in the Office of the General Counsel. So after that summer, I really leaned into the healthcare arena. I took every health law class FSU offered. I joined and became president of the Health Law Society and began at the FMA as a legal intern at the start of 2013 as a 2L. So it was initially just supposed to be for that spring semester, but I was able to stick around and become full-time assistant general counsel when I graduated and passed the Florida bar in 2014. Well, I'll say this, the FMA knows talent when they see it, and we were lucky to have you as a uh, as an intern working with us while you're in law school, and, and we were smart enough to snap you up and hire you uh, after you uh, graduated and passed the bar. Um, so I know that, you know, Mary, you work in various capacities at the FMA, working with our general, in our general counsel's office. You're involved uh, on our legislative team. Um, but today I want to focus on the regulatory work that you do for the FMA. Can you tell us um, what the regulatory world looks like for physicians in Florida? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, Tim, I think it's really important for physicians to understand the actual structure of the body that regulates their profession. You know, so I think most people know that the Florida Department of Health is an executive branch agency, which is established by Florida statute. But the DOH is actually organized into seven divisions, one of which is the Division of Medical Quality Assurance, or MQA for short. Now, MQA is responsible for the regulatory activities of various healthcare practitioners, not just physicians. And within the MQA, there's three bureaus, Bureau of Enforcement, of Operations, and what we're going to talk about more today is the Bureau of Healthcare Practitioner Regulation. Now, that bureau is responsible for policymaking and activities related to licensure of all healthcare practitioners. And the Bureau alone regulates over 200 license types and over 40 healthcare professions through coordination with 22 boards. Now, the Board of Medicine is definitely the most robust board out of those with 13 physician members and two consumer members. So obviously, you know, the Board of Medicine and osteopathic medicine have the most direct impact on physicians, but there are other boards that can affect the daily practice, such as the Board of Pharmacy and the Board of Nursing. Let me ask you this. How often do these boards meet and and how does the FMA uh, uh, interact with the boards? In other words, do we have representation at these various meetings? Uh, definitely. So it varies from board to board, but the, the core boards, so the Board of Medicine meets um, every other month all over the state, at least pre-COVID. And I attend every single meeting of the Board of Medicine on behalf of the FMA. 
and frequently will also have FMA physicians attend to provide testimony um, on, on certain regulations. The Board of Nursing also meets every other month, and it can be difficult because those meetings typically overlap with the Board of Medicine. But as, as a result of COVID, all meetings have been via teleconference this year. So I have been able to participate in both of these overlapping meetings. And the third core board, the Board of Pharmacy, also meets every other month. So, um, you know, and frequently, even outside of those regularly scheduled meetings, a board or a committee or council will meet in between um, when there is an issue that is complex or particularly important. So in 2020, this has actually been a very unusually busy regulatory year. Um, since April, I have attended at least 11 different board or committee meetings, lasting one to three days each, and I will have about eight to 10 more before the end of the year. And so that's just what I know about right now. Obviously, things change. So this year, things changed week to week. Um, you know, and in between those meetings, I stay busy. I stay connected with the board members, staff. I regularly talk with board counsel. And that way, I stay apprised of the latest news. And it also keeps the FMA's involvement on their radar as well. So um, that's a lot of meetings, uh, clearly. Uh, what happens at these meetings that's so important and, uh, for the FMA to be there? So that's a great question. And, you know, a lot of the time I find that physicians only think of the Board of Medicine in their disciplinary capacity. But there's a lot more that goes on during those meetings. Um, you know, boards aren't just there to punish doctors. They're, they're responsible for developing rules for licensure, establishing exams, setting fees, approving CME courses, many of which the FMA provides, um, establishing guidelines for discipline, and regulating the practice of medicine. And you know, that can be a simple rule that dictates the cost of reproducing medical records, or as complicated as regulating level three office surgery. So there's really a broad spectrum of what the, the Board of Medicine uh, does. Now, throughout the meeting, the board may consider amending or creating a new rule that possibly wasn't listed on the public agenda. Sometimes things just come up. And I'm immediately available to provide comment to the board on whether the FMA would support or oppose, um, you know, whatever they're discussing based on our set guidelines and policies. Or if we don't really have any policies to, that speak to what the board is discussing, then I'll take that information back to our board and our leadership before proceeding. So it's having a physical presence at the meeting is also really important because it gives me the opportunity to, to get to know the board members on a more personal level, which always opens up an avenue for dialogue and collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, everybody knows we have the legislative process uh, and, and we know how that works. How's the rulemaking process different uh, than, uh, than legislation? Well, first, I think um, the biggest difference is legislative session typically meets once a year for a period of 60 days, and that is preceded by a few weeks of committee meetings. But once those 60 days are up, assuming there's no extensions, um, that's it. The bills are dead. Whatever is not out the door on the way to the governor, is, is it has to start all over the next year. Um, and so it can be very interesting year to year filing new legislation and literally starting from step one. Now with rulemaking, there's not necessarily a time limit that rules must be completed. It's actually quite the opposite. Um, you have to give, and this is mandated by Florida statute, enough time for the public and all interested parties to participate. So 
you know, there's pros and cons to that as well. Just like it's very difficult maybe to get something done in 60 days during the legislative session. Um, a good example, if a rule was promulgated within six months, that would be fairly quick in the regulatory world. And when issues are complicated or deal with a matter of great public importance, the rulemaking procedure can take years. Um, I have worked on a few issues that have gone on, you know, over three years now. So that just is another example of why it's so important that the FMA has a presence at these meetings. Between all the different timelines, all the meetings and nuances of rulemaking, it, it can be difficult, if not impossible, for a full-time practicing physician to keep up with what's going on out there dealing with their profession. And it's really why our communication to our membership is so important, because it's the most accessible way for physicians to get that information. Sure. Well, I'm going to, um, you, you've been involved in, in dozens of issues, probably, uh, you know, more than you can remember. But I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a trick question here. You've been with the FMA now uh, in some capacity, uh, starting as an intern and working uh, through 2020. Um, can you remember, tell me, what was the first regulatory issue that you worked on uh, at the FMA? Oh, Let's see. Yes, it was actually, it was very exciting. So when I was hired as an intern, the FMA had just succeeded in a rule challenge in the Division of Administrative Hearings, or DOA, um, against the Board of Nursing. And the Board of Nursing had unwisely appealed the decision to the first DCA. Now, what the Board of Nursing did was they had promulgated a rule that said, set guidelines for the administration of conscious sedation by RNs and basically prohibited the administration of propofol by RNs. Now, the issue wasn't whether it was a good or bad idea to have an RN administer propofol. It was purely a question of whether the Board of Nursing had the legislative authority to promulgate a rule prohibiting that practice. Now, the legislature did not grant the Board of Nursing the authority to establish practice guidelines. And, and for good reason. If the nurses were able to create a rule that um, prohibited from doing certain things, that was going to interfere with how a physician, as the captain of the ship, um, has their office run or their OR run or, you know, whatever the, the setting might be. So the FMA was successful on appeal as well. And, you know, it was really looking back, it was such a valuable experience that I didn't even realize uh, I was getting yet because I learned very quickly and early in my career the constraints that the board must adhere to, um, including even the Board of Medicine. And sometimes, you know, they'll try to promulgate a rule that they don't have the authority to. And so having that foundation to, to spot those issues quickly has been very valuable. Yeah. You know, you mentioned um, earlier that uh, this year has been a particularly busy year, 2020. Um, why is that the case? So rulemaking can only happen if the boards have the statutory authority to do so. And that's kind of another difference between legislation. Um, with the passage of House Bills 389 and 607 has come a lot of opportunity for rulemaking at the Board of Pharmacy and Nursing. Um, so, for example, House Bill 389, which I know a lot of people know, allows pharmacists under a collaborative practice agreement with a physician to manage certain health, certain chronic health conditions, which are listed in statute. Now, along with that list, the statute also states that the Board of Pharmacy, in consul consultation with the Boards of Medicine and Osteopathic Medicine, 
may adopt by rule any other chronic condition. Well, as the Board of Pharmacy began the rulemaking process, they initially attempted to skirt that statutory directive by adopting a rule that would have allowed pharmacists to treat any condition lasting a year or longer. Well, that just wasn't going to fly. So after about four public meetings and several phone calls with the board's legal counsel, where I was adamant the FMA would pursue a legal challenge, the board agreed to strike that language from the rule. We still have a lot to monitor over the coming years as the Board of Pharmacy adopts conditions one by one, but that's another great example of why the FMA is heavily involved in the regulatory world. Yeah, so obviously the, uh, the regulatory issues are, are extremely important. Um, let me ask you this, do the specialty societies have lawyers working on these issues and, and how does the FMA get information to specialty societies that might be impacted by a particular uh, regulatory issue? Well, so while some specialties send a representative regularly to the Board of Medicine meetings, uh, most do not. So if I spot an issue that I believe will affect a specific specialty, I will reach out to their representative or their physician leadership and inform them of what is going on and, as always, offer the FMA's assistance. Um, If I believe that this is going to be an issue that affects multiple specialties, I will send out that alert and coordinate efforts with the specialties when it comes to um, I'll help them understand the regulatory timeline, I'll help them coordinate testimony, um, help them submit documents into the record. And, you know, even every now and then there's an issue that comes up where uh, the specialties don't agree with the best course of action. And, you know, that can be difficult for the FMA as kind of the umbrella organization. But even in those situations, the FMA will still facilitate the dialogue and mediate the interests because it's always the most beneficial when medicine can stand together. Well, Mary, you know, thank you so much for taking some time today to, to go into these issues. Um, and thank you for all that you do uh, for the physicians in Florida. It should be abundantly clear to all physicians that the FMA is their watchdog when it comes to the regulatory process. And there's no question that the work you do as a regulatory attorney is worth the price of FMA membership for every physician in the state of Florida on its own. So thank you again. And uh, we'll we'll be watching all of those new uh, regulations as they come forward. Thank you. Thank you.